All right, well, good morning. Uh, not quite doctor level yet, but maybe one day. I sure hope not. Um, so, yeah, we've been uh, going through the attributes of God. Uh, last week we had our house churches, so it wasn't here. And then the week before I was out as well. But just to do a quick little recap here. Um, the first week kind of just set the stage for why it's important to think rightly about God. And we had the quote uh, quotation from A.W. Tozer where he actually says the most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think about God. And so just to clarify there, what he's the point he's making is that um, is, it, is it something that we do? Is it a pilgrimage to Mecca? Is it praying right? Is it spending time three hours a day in the Bible? He's saying, no, it's not about what we do. The most important thing really that we can do is think rightly about who God actually is and know the one true living God. That's the point that Tozer is making. So um, that was week one. And then um, the, the next week, we looked at the attribute that God is incomparable, or you could say incomparable. Uh, you'd be wrong if you said it that way, but if you want to, that's fine. Uh, incomparable, uh, or there is no one to compare God with, is what we looked at. And we looked at the story of Moses and the burning bush. And um, God reveals himself to Moses, and Moses says, when I go to Egypt, what, what do I tell the people? Who, who are you? What's your name? And God says, uh, tell them that I am has sent you. And then he says, tell them that Yahweh has sent you, which means he is. So he is who he is. And we looked at that a little bit. Um, the, the phrase I am or Yahweh really is um, I am and will continue to be what I am and will forever be. Or he is and he will continue to be who he is and will forever be. There's no one else like God. And so he doesn't say, well, tell them that I'm a God like this. Or you can think of me the way you think of this. He says, I am who I am. There's no one else to compare him with. So that was the previous week. Okay, so then today we are going to look at uh, the next attribute, which theologians call the self-sufficiency of God. And uh, I want to look at another Old Testament story. So if you guys have your Bibles, uh, go to Genesis chapter 22. And it's a story you're all familiar with, um, Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham and Isaac. And so we're not going to read through the entire thing here, uh, just have a couple of, of main things we want to point out here um, and look at, again, uh, the, the self-sufficiency of who God is. So Genesis chapter 22, um, starting at verse 1, says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So I'm going to pause there for just a second. Um, it's, it's really interesting that Abraham just goes with this. And we, of course, in the year 2020, we know the story, right? We know where this is all leading up to. We know that Isaac is not actually going to be sacrificed. We know this is a picture of Jesus. And so we know where this is going, but Abraham didn't know that at that point. 
We don't know exactly what all Abraham uh, knew or what revelation God had given him, but it is interesting that he kind of just goes with this. Okay, I'm going to go sacrifice my son. I'm going to just take him up on a mountain, and I'm going to kill him. Um, We know Abraham knows how to go to bat with God, right? Because a few chapters earlier, we have Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham's talking him down and talking him down and talking him down. And so he's willing to go to bat for Sodom and Gomorrah, why doesn't he even debate this? Why is he just just accept it? And so uh, we know, of course, from the New Testament, Abraham concluded that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead, which means that Abraham thought he was literally going to have to kill his son that day, and he's still just going with this, doesn't, doesn't try to talk God out of it. And so I was listening to a podcast recently, and they pointed out that they believe one of the reasons there's no argument here like there was with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is that Abraham grew up in a culture where child sacrifice was very normal. It was very much a part of that culture, very much a part of probably the, he, he had left Haran and probably in that, um, that culture, in that area, child sacrifice was probably a normal thing. It's something the gods requested, right? Gods have needs and they need appeasement and the gods need us to appease them. And one of the ways that people appease the gods throughout human history is by offering their own children up as sacrifices. So for Abraham, this may not have been super weird at this point as he's still developing in his knowledge of who who God is. So verse 7, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And so again, what theologians call self-sufficient, I think we could draw from this passage, is that God is our provider. It's the same idea. God is the provider. He is the one who provides for the needs, and it's not the other way around. While all of the other gods um, demand and again need appeasement, and they have needs that we as people have to fulfill in those gods, God, the living God, is, is the opposite, and he provides for our needs, and that is who who he is. So while other gods demand that we offer our sons as sacrifices, God, the living God, is the one who gave his own son as the sacrifice. He himself provides. Um, A quote here on what it means that God is self-sufficient, or he is the provider. He possesses within himself every quality ability, and supernatural command with never-ending measure. Every attribute or mighty and wonderful power is his endlessly. God wants for nothing and lacks nothing. He is complete. 
So I've got just three kind of quick application points for us here for the self-sufficiency of God. Um, that God is self-sufficient means, number one, God is in need of nothing. Uh, as A.W. Tozer says, uh, need is a creature word, and it cannot speak of the creator. Everything else in the universe that is living is a creature. God is the creator. Creatures have needs. We have needs of other creatures to fill our needs, and we have need of uh, the creator, of course, to fill our needs. God, being the creator, has no needs. He does not need us. He did not create us because he needed us. Um, to stay alive, every created thing needs some other created thing, and all created things need God. And so... I already mentioned this, but God didn't create us out of necessity as sometimes is. It's generally not taught outright, but there are certainly uh, subtle hints in a lot of teachings today that God has a need for us. And really kind of hit the creation story is that God, um, again, I've never heard it explained exactly like this, but in essence, that God was lonely. And there was some need in himself that he needed to satisfy, and so he creates us to satisfy that need. Uh, do not believe that. I don't think that is biblical. Um, in fact, what we would say is uh, the second point of application here, God is satisfied and that his creating actually came out of the overflow of his satisfaction. It wasn't out of need. It wasn't out of necessity that God created. It was out of the overflow of joy. Um, and this will take us at some point deeper into the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but God is satisfied and who he is, and there's a relational uh, thing happening with the, the Trinity that has led to an overflow of joy. And so, again, I, I believe that biblically, God created not out of necessity, but out of the overflow of joy and satisfaction. Um, and so, we have a couple of verses here. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is never gloomy. He's never uh, in a uh, state of depression or constant anger, right? And so we see these things come from God. We see his anger manifested. We see wrath. But we know that God is satisfied. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. God is not kind of wondering how this is all going to pan out, right? He's not concerned. He's not worried about uh, the rulers and authorities. We know, of course, in Psalm 2, it says that God sits in the heavens and he laughs at men and the schemes of man. Um, so God is satisfied. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And there are a lot of other verses we could give um, that point to the fullness of satisfaction and joy that exists in God. And then the third thing here, uh, so again, God is in need of nothing, God is satisfied, and then thirdly is just the simple fact that God provides. He provides. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord, or Yahweh, will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of Yahweh, it shall be provided. So um, sometimes I struggle with these attributes as far as what's the application here, some of them, the application is a lot more clear. Others, it's a little bit harder. Uh, we talked about that, I think, the last week or whenever that was, um, that regardless of whether or not we see the immediate application, it's good for us to dwell on these things, to meditate on these things, to recognize um, who God is and uh, to protect us, again, from, from straying into false doctrine and false teaching. With this today, um, I'm encouraged, even as I'm up here, talking, remembering that uh, 
I don't have to provide for myself. I have a lot of needs. I have a lot of, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy season for my wife and I, and my goodness, there's just a lot happening, and even trying to get time to prepare for this can be stressful and frustrating, but he provides. He's the provider, and as long as I'm staying in that place today, God is my provision. I don't need to be in tomorrow, worrying about tomorrow, right? I don't need to be trying to figure out how can Shim provide for tomorrow, how can Shim take care of what's coming up this week at work, because I can trust God himself will provide. That's who he is. And the second thing that I take from this that's really, really good is just remember that there's no need that he has where he's looking to me to fulfill that. He is fully satisfied. I am I am happy to partner with him and the work that he's accomplishing throughout the earth, but there's no need. I, I don't have to do this pilgrimage to Mecca or go to a particular temple or pray this many hours a day. There's no demand placed on my life where I have to satisfy something in God. He is fully satisfied, and my motivation to live, to do, to work, to act comes from the overflow of Christ in me. Not Shim trying to please Christ, but it's done. It's finished. He provided. He gave the final work. He gives the final word. So uh, so thank you, Lord. Thank you for the truth that you are self-sufficient. You are our provider. You need nothing, God. There's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing too difficult. There's nothing you don't understand. And yet, you partner with us to accomplish things. Lord, you have power to move and do whatever it is you want. And yet, you choose to accomplish things through our prayers and through our working here. So we thank you, God, for the opportunity. Thank you for uh, the blessing that it is to get to be with you. Um, and we just pray. I pray in Jesus' name for protection over your body, that we would think rightly about you, think accurately about uh, what it means that you are God and that you are self-sufficient. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.